good morning, 11 o'clock service. Before we dive into our text for today, I want to just start off by thanking Joe Dernal, our worship intern, uh, for just all of his great work this summer, man. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Hope that you learned a lot during your time here. You definitely taught us uh, some things, certainly how not to do some things. Uh, but man, that was, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joe got the full intern experience. He was, uh, he had to sing or got to sing at a wedding in St. Louis yesterday, drove home from there, got in about 1.30 in the morning and was up in Adam to lead the eight o'clock service in worship. I mean, that is an act of the Holy Spirit right there. And, and truly indicative of what ministry is like sometimes. And so you got the full internship experience, man. We're just really grateful for you. So thanks for leading us in, in worship. All right. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Man, it is hard to believe we are in week 50 of Core 52, this year-long study through 52 of kind of the most important passages of scripture that every person needs to know. And whether you have been with us on this journey from week one, or this is your first time ever at Sherwood Oaks, I am so glad that you are here for this day, because today we are talking about what kind of started us along this journey to begin with. And today we are talking about scripture about what the Bible says about the Bible and its usefulness in our life. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me today to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I think that there are some in the pews in front of you, the pew back in front of you. Or if you're like, I want to download an app but I don't really know what it is. The YouVersion Bible app is fantastic. You'll have time to hop on, download it, and pull up our text, 2 Timothy 3, before we get to it. So um, it, the, the, the study that we have been doing over the last 50 weeks uh, was born out of this belief that nothing has greater impact on our spiritual growth and development than personal reflection on God's Word. Nothing. Like if you want to grow in your faith, in your walk with Jesus, there is nothing that is going to help you take steps further in that more than personal reflection in God's Word. And that's not just something that we believe because it sounds good. We believe it because there are stats and studies that back it all up. And not only that, but there's anecdotal evidence in this room that would say the exact same thing. I've talked to so many people over the last year who have said that they have grown so much in their faith because they are intentionally diving more into the Word of God. And, and it's because this book is more than just words on a page. The Bible is alive and active. It is able to bring life to our lives and to our faith. But you know as well as I do that there are all sorts of opinions about this book. You ask 50 different people, what do you think about the Bible? And you're probably going to get about 50 different answers. There are a lot of people, maybe even you, who question its authenticity, who question its accuracy. There are many people who have good and logical and important questions, valid questions about the Bible that deserve valid answers. 
meaningful answers. Some of the questions that people have about it are things like if the Bible was passed down through oral tradition, how can I trust the stories are pure and accurate and unchanged? Some people ask and they wonder, aren't there a lot of mistakes and inconsistencies in the Bible? How can we trust it? Doesn't the Bible conflict with what we know about science? A lot of people wonder if it was written thousands of years ago, how in the world can it still be relevant in my life today? Again, these are important and valid questions that people ask about the Bible. Maybe you're asking. They have, they have good answers to them as well. But how you answer those questions will determine how you engage with this book. And how you engage with this book is going to then determine everything else about you. And so if we believe that this book is is inconsistent and full of errors, that it is outdated to our culture and our times, if we believe, as some people do, that this book is actually oppressive, then we're going to be leery of anything that it has to say, as we should. But if we believe that this book is the inspired word of God preserved through the years, that it is accurate and consistent and reliable, that it is still relevant in our lives today, then that changes everything. If we believe that this book tells one unified story of God bringing people back to himself out of love and out of grace and how he did that through Jesus and then sent us out into this world to share that love with others. If we believe that, then that book becomes something that we want to read and that we want to study and that we want to live out. And in our text today, we find that's exactly what the Bible is. It is incredibly useful for helping us do just that. Look at it with me. These are the words that the Apostle Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16 The Apostle Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is our core verse for the week. And in it, we find some essentials of what we believe about the Bible. But before we get into those, I just kind of want to Hit, hit pause just for a moment. There's, there's a version of this, um, this sermon that I outlined last week that kind of chases a little bit of this rabbit trail. And I ended up not going down that direction, but then a friend of mine showed me a picture this morning and I was like, okay, you know what? We're just gonna, we're gonna embrace it. So um, <laughs> this is the picture that, that he sent me. I think that we have there. <laughs> It's the Bible essentially congratulating itself on being the on being the inspired word of God. And like if you think about it, it's kind of interesting that the Bible is saying about itself, you should listen to me because I'm kind of a big deal. You know, it's like somebody saying, you should listen to what I have to say about humility because I'm super, super humble. But I just want to kind of clarify a misconception here. When Paul wrote these words to Timothy, He writes them as a letter to a friend who is leading a church. In Paul's mind, he is not thinking at all that these words might be held up to the same place that his scriptures, the Old Testament, were held up to. 
When Paul says all scripture is God-breathed, he is talking about everything that had been written that we have in the Old Testament. He's not thinking at all about the words that he is writing to the church. And so Paul is not saying, you should listen to me because God's speaking through me right now. (laughs) It's later on that Christians and followers of Jesus began to uphold the letters of Paul and Peter and Luke and other apostles to be in the same regard as the Old Testament. And so this is not scripture self-congratulating itself on being the word of God. This is Paul saying the words that God spoke to us are reliable, accurate, and we can trust them. And that's the first essential that we believe about the Bible. It is the inspired word of God. Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. That's actually the most literal translation of the Greek word that Paul uses here. It's this mashup of words used to describe the air that was physically expelled from the lungs of God. God breathed his words out for us. And so in other words, the Bible originated in God's mind, not ours. No one made this up. It's not a storybook that a person or or a group of people got together and like, okay, how can we, how can we like make people live good moral lives? I have an idea. Let's, let's put together this thing and call it the Bible. Like that's not how it originated. This book was given to us by the inspiration of God himself and not in the inspiration in the way that we think of it like Shakespeare was inspired or the music of Bach or the smooth jazz of Kenny G that's clearly inspired by something. That's not the inspiration that we are talking about. The biblical sense of inspiration means that God directed the writers of Scripture so that they wrote down what he wanted them to write and disclose the exact truth that he wanted to be conveyed to us. That's how we have the Bible today. The word Bible means book. It's one book made up of a compilation of 66 other books. You have 39 in the Old Testament that kind of recount the history of Israel and God starting his plan of redemption to bring people back to him. And then you have the 27 books of the New Testament, the New Covenant, where God fulfills that plan through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the beginning of the church that is being sent out to proclaim that message and then letters back to the church instructing us how to live in light of the gospel, in light of this new life that we have in Jesus. And these 66 books are not just the thoughts and meanderings of one or two people over the span of 20 or 30 years. In all, God inspired 40 different authors spanning more than 1,600 years in a dozen different countries over three separate continents. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek and some Aramaic in, in the New Testament. And what I find even more fascinating is that God chose to breathe his message through people from all walks of life. He used farmers and kings Shepherds and scholars, historians and fishermen. God spoke through tax collectors and soldiers and peasants who wrote from from various places, from inside of caves and the bottoms of ships to palaces and prisons. 
for this book to be written by such a diverse group of people spanning over 16 centuries and yet be one consistent story without contradiction is absolutely incredible. And the reason for this goes back to our text for today. It is God breathed. They are inspired by his words. And when you read the Bible, certainly you can pick up the personalities of the people who wrote it. But there is no doubt who the true author actually is. And because these are God's words given to us through individuals, we believe the Bible is two things, inerrant and infallible. Inerrant meaning that it is free from all falsehood or mistakes, and so it is reliable. And infallible meaning that it does not mislead us. It is trustworthy in all matters about which it speaks. So that's the first thing. The second thing our core verse teaches us is that the Bible is practical. In fact, in our text, Paul outlines five ways that Scripture is useful in our lives. The first thing he says, it's useful for teaching. And it doesn't just teach us what to believe. The Bible teaches us how to live. I've heard someone say that the Bible points us to the good life and makes us good at life. It, it teaches us how to live the good life and it gives us practical wisdom for how to be good at life. And the word Paul uses here for, for teaching would have conjured up images of a loving father instructing his children, teaching them the ways that they should go and the ways that they should avoid because they are dangerous and might be harmful to them. When the uh, girls were younger, we did a lot of um, kid-proofing uh, around our house. Uh, if you have kids or grandkids, you've probably done uh, a little bit of that. Uh, I grew up as an 80s kid, and so that wasn't quite as important uh, as, as, as I guess it is now. Uh, in fact, I um, remember my parents telling me a story about when I was young, like still just learning how to walk. Uh, I was in one of those little walker things that you sit in, and it had like the caster wheels on it, and you could just kind of scoot all around the linoleum floor. And, and I guess like there was one time um, I actually fell down the stairs uh, inside of that thing. And like that would probably, my parents would probably be arrested for that today. Um, but like that was the eighties, man. That's just what we did. And I actually, I told that story during the eight o'clock service and my dad was tuning in and he was, he was watching online. He sent me a message. He was like, it was only two stairs. I was like, <laughs> the details were a little fuzzy. Um, <laughs> but sure. Okay. We'll go with that. It was only two stairs, but when the kids came along, I mean, man, we put like those covers in the sockets and, and we put uh, uh, things on the, on the cabinet door so that they couldn't open it up that somehow I could never figure out how to use, but Nora was two years old and she'd be like, oh, daddy, I'll get it for you. I'm like, yep, mm -hmm. yeah, these are definitely doing exactly what they were meant to do. <laughs> but I also learned that there are just certain things that you cannot kid-proof, no matter how hard you try. And one of those things is like an oven. Uh, in our house in Rhode Island, we had a, an oven that, you know, had a pull-out drawer on the bottom of it. And the girls loved 
to stand on top of the handle of that drawer and pull themselves up with the oven handle. And no matter how we tried to teach them, girls, this is not a good activity, uh, they would just continue to do it. And the reason why we were trying to impress them this on them was because we could see the danger in it that they couldn't. And in a way, that's what Paul is saying the Word of God does for us. It teaches us to avoid things, to protect our hearts, but it also teaches us how to live a better life, how to find salvation in Jesus when we go our own ways and end up hurting. I know we've got some college students in here today. Welcome back welcome here for the first time. We also have some high schoolers in here that are going to start joining us quite a bit during the 11 o'clock. And can I just speak to you all for a little bit? And everyone else, you can, you can listen in or tune out. It's up to you. But I, I really want to speak to those who are college and high school students. You guys are being bombarded, bombarded with messages from this culture and in our world that want to teach you things that run contrary to God's word. And man, they hold them up as absolute truth, which is ironic because we live in a culture that fundamentally rejects absolute truth. And yet they're saying, no, these are the absolutes. And if you don't live by these, then you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong side of history. I'm telling you, there are people in this room who love you, care about you and we want you to know that even though some things that the Bible teaches may not be popular or seen as culturally relevant, they are truths that stand the test of time and they will guard your heart. Our loving Heavenly Father has given us His Word so that, one, we can find eternal life through Christ Jesus, but also to provide for us a way to live the good life now to protect us from the pain that happens when we go our own way. And I'm telling you, almost every, every time I look back at at some painful moment in my life that I caused, (laughs) it was because I went my own way instead of following the way that God instructs me in his word. And you are surrounded by people this morning who can testify to Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Death of the joy that wants to live inside of us. Death of a relationship. Death of some hope or dream that we have. Death of our soul. Man, Jesus came so that we can have life. And God's word guides us to that life if we allow it to teach us the way that it should go. So that's the first thing that God's word is useful for. It teaches us. Number two, rebukes us. Paul says the word of God will sometimes bring conviction on our lives. It'll point out our faulty thinking or living or our sin or our mistakes And it doesn't just point it out, then it shows us a better way to live. And I know from experience that this can be uncomfortable. There have been times I've read scripture or someone has shared a scripture with me that 
that, that revealed a place in my life that I hadn't yet fully surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And, and I had to decide, as all of us do, when we are confronted with an inconvenient truth, we have to decide whose authority are we going to place ourselves under, our own or God's? And nobody likes to be told that they are wrong. <laughs> I know that they may not see the whole picture. In fact, I think it's a reason why a lot of people have marginalized the Bible. We don't want anyone telling us what to do or what not to do, let alone a book that's over 2,000 years old, right? But if we are willing to listen to it, Scripture lovingly reveals our faults and our flaws and points us to Jesus and grace that can only be found in him, which ultimately brings us to a place of peace and wholeness that we cannot experience on our own. Teaching, rebuking. Number three, correcting. Paul uses a word for correcting that is only found here in Scripture, which I, as a student of the Word, I always find fascinating. Paul had the entire Greek language with multiple words to, to express correcting that he could have used, but he, he used one that's not used anywhere else. And we know from, from, from other Greek literature that the idea that he is going for is that Scripture helps restore our doctrine, the way that we think and what we believe. Scripture restores our lives, the personal practices and what we do, and brings them back into right relationship with God. A couple of weeks ago, the sermon was on Philippians chapter 4. In the first part of that text, we, we looked at, at verses 4 through 8, and we really honed in on, on verses 6 through, through 8 on, on worry and, and anxiety. But the first two verses, Philippians 4, 4 through 5, Paul instructs the church and, and us to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And there, there was a time early on in my faith where, where I had a very faulty narrative of who God is. And I remember reading that verse, and for, for quite a while, the way that I would interpret it in my mind was that Paul was saying, you better rejoice in the Lord because he's watching you. <laughs> you better let your gentleness be evident. Doesn't matter what you're going through, God is watching you. And if you don't, he's going to be disappointed. The more I began to understand grace and who this God truly is, that narrative began to, to change in my mind and I realized, no, that's not at all what it is. Paul is pointing us back to a God who promises to be near to the brokenhearted, a God who says, I will uphold you by the power of my mighty right hand, a God who promises to never leave us or forsake us no matter what we go through. And so Paul says, we rejoice not because of our circumstances. We can be gentle, not because it is easy, but because the Lord is near to us and he gives us hope to hang on to. And that hit home even a little bit more for me this morning. 
And <laughs> I can continue just to be a little honest and transparent, maybe vulnerable. Um, so I, I struggle with anxiety uh, from time to time. And it always seems to hit uh, rather acutely on Sunday mornings, uh, whether it be spiritual warfare. I know it's definitely part of that, without a doubt. But also just some of my own fears and insecurities that Satan replays in my, in my mind. And usually, you know, just my quiet time and devotion and just kind of in the, the time of getting ready on Sunday mornings, I'm able to, to move on and I'm fine. But I'll tell you, I don't know what it was, but this morning, um, it was almost debilitating. In fact, before I came up to preach in the 9.30 service, like the, the sermon bumper was playing, and I was sitting right over there where Quentin is, feeling like I was having a little anxiety attack in that moment, wondering if I was going to be able to get up and preach. In this verse, Philippians 4, 4 through 5, God just impressed it on my heart this morning and again right in that moment. Rejoice, because I'm near. I'm near. I'm so grateful for the way that God's word teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us. How it corrected my faulty thinking of his grace and taught me a better way to understand his love. God's word also trains us in righteousness. It develops inside of us a godly character that leads to a holy lifestyle. And then five, it equips us for every good work. In fact, if you look at Paul's final charge to Timothy in, in, in chapter 4, words that are written just days before Paul loses his life for his faith in Jesus, he challenges Timothy to preach the word faithfully. He tells him to use the word of God to correct and rebuke and encourage people. But notice he only does that after he tells Timothy to make sure that it does that work inside of you first. That for, for the word of God to prepare us to be able to do good works it has to first do a good work inside of us. And church, there are way too many followers of Jesus who go out and use the word of God as a club to correct and rebuke others without having first let it correct and rebuke in their own life. And man, the world sees it and has no time for it. May we, may we let the word of God do its work in us to equip us to go out and serve and love the way that Jesus did. A preacher named Dwight Moody once said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. In other words, God did not give us his word so that we could have more information about him stored up in our brains, but that, so that our hearts could be transformed by his love and by his grace that only comes from knowing him more. And I could talk today about all of the historical evidence, all the scientific reasons for why I believe that the Bible is true, which oftentimes I have to go back to to remind myself, yes, <laughs> this is real. Yes, what I've given my life to, our family to, this ministry. Like, yes, it is trustworthy and true. And there are so many reasons, but I'll tell you, one of the greatest reasons that I go back to again and again 
is the way that the word of God has changed lives. Not just my own, so many people that I know. And my guess is that even in this room today, there would be testimony after testimony if given the opportunity where people would stand up and talk about how God's word has changed their life, their marriage, their family. Several years ago, I asked some friends to share how scripture has changed them. And I just want to share a little bit with you. Liz said that Romans 8.28 reminds her that even when bad things happen in her life, God will always work them out for her good in his time. Julie said that she'd been clean and sober for 16 years because of the grace of God that she found in his word. Carl said that scripture helped him see the joy that can be found in serving others instead of living a self-centered life. Kim said that God's word helped her remember that there's always a bigger picture, that we may not always be able to see and understand the why behind the what that is happening, but we can praise him in the midst of it. Jackie said that God's invitation to tithe has taught her how to trust him more and that she's realizing that she can't outgive God. Linda said that Nehemiah 8.10 changed her life because it taught her to seek joy in the Lord first, and then she will receive his strength. Mike said that Matthew 15 showed him that what comes out of his mouth is from his heart, and he wants people to be led to Christ through his words, not pushed away. And Sherry said that God's word showed her that she can use her struggles to help others and that the Lord can turn her misery into her ministry. All of these testimonies can directly relate to a passage in Scripture, something that people learn from diving into God's Word, trusting it, living it, allowing it to teach and correct and rebuke, train them in righteousness so that they would be ready to do good works. These are real people that found real change in God's word. And that same change is available to you through the power of this book, yes, but also through the God who inspired and breathed these words to us. Words that ultimately point us to Jesus, who rescues us from our sin and our shame and sets us off to live a better life. The power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And today, if you are ready to take that next step with him, if you want to know more about how to dive into God's word, if you want to take your first steps in following Jesus, we want to lead you in that. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray and then Ben's going to come up and share with us how we can respond today. God, thank you for your word. The truth that it reveals to us, how it is a firm foundation on which we can build our lives. And there are so many things in this culture, God, that people are saying, no, this is true. This is true. Even in a culture that rejects truth. But Lord, only your word stands. And so I pray that we will be a church and a people who build upon it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.